This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The death here with surely the last chance of the game. He scored! Right-footed! It's a bit of magic from Wilfred Zaha. Just in the nick of time for Crystal Palace. Joe Hart, who's had an outstanding game, is beaten away to his left-hand side. West Ham defenders are looking at each other. Some have got their heads in their hands. Roy Hodgson showing some emotion as well. Usually so calm on the sidelines. A rueful shake of the head from Slaven Bilic. And Palace have turned this round 90 plus 7. Hello and welcome to Homestay Radio. My name is Chris Hambling and I'm your host today as we look back at a 2-2 draw against West Ham United at Selhurst Park. It's 2-0 down in the first half but fought back valiantly uh, and with a last minute Wilfred Zaha strike got a point out of the game which was richly deserved. I'll be introducing you to the panel fairly shortly and they'll be having their opinions but we want your opinions too. Go to holradio.net forward slash contact to find out all the ways to get in touch including the chat room holradio.net forward slash chat. We'll be back in just a moment. reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia, homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Right, we are then. Let's introduce the panel today. We have Dr. Kerners. Hello, hello. We have Patrick O'Connor. Buongiorno, Patrick. I forgot you existed last week. Sorry about that, mate. <laughs> it's all right. It happens. And we've also got Ed Kellaway. Good evening. Good evening indeed. And it is, it is a good evening. It feels good after uh, the last-minute goal. It's always... It feels... Uh, well, there's no feeling like it. You can't really describe what it, what it feels like, even in a nothing game when you score in the last minute to either you know, salvage a point or, or get a win. It's just an incredible feeling. And we'll be talking a lot about that, trying to stay nice and positive, although, of course, we do have the first half to talk about as well. Before we get there, I just want to touch on another... A couple of... Palace-related things that um, 
want to get the, the panel's views on. The first is, of course, the England under-17s winning the World Cup. And I know Patrick's watched the majority, well, he's watched it all, really, and, and, and very impressive, the England team. Of course, Nia Kirby uh, was part of that squad and featured in, in, in many of the games, often for just a few minutes at a time, but had a decent enough tournament. So I'll start with you, Patrick. First of all, great for the national game because, you know, the, the, the younger English squads are, are winning trophies and, and playing really good football. Yeah, it's amazing that um, I've been alive now uh, all summer. England have won the World Cup twice. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. But just overall, though, it was, I mean, honestly, it's um, you can tell the work they've been doing at St. George's is starting to pay off for at least the national teams. The 17th have been great, 19th did well during the summer, and the 20s obviously won the World Cup. So Hodgson mentioned yesterday in, in the post, post-match how he saw what was going on and it was, this is going to happen. So I think it's a, it's a good sign for England. I just really hope not just at Palace, but these kids that come back, they get a chance to play. I mean, a couple of these players, like the kid from Manchester City, uh, Foden, is absolutely brilliant. He's like a little little messy left-foot player. And uh, I know Kirby had a really good tournament. And I really hope they get a chance, maybe not this year, but very soon, because I think there's a bright future for England. Because, yeah, it's, um, yeah, Phil Foden, isn't it? And uh, Rian Brewster as yeah. well got a lot of the goals. He's oh, Liverpool, yeah. I think, isn't he? Yeah, striker, yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, there you go. And obviously, we've, you know, we've been people in the past who've criticised the selection policy in the England, you know, in the, of the FA, really, picking the big teams. But, you know, maybe this is evidence that the the academy setup, as well as the St George's setup, is actually paying dividends and developing top English talent. So, you know, as much as, well, I'm very proud that we've got a, a Palace kid in there. Obviously, it's only a couple of years since he joined us from Chelsea. But not from Chelsea, was it from from Spurs? I think it was. Tottenham, yeah, Tottenham. yeah, because yeah, he was it was due to go to Chelsea. That fell through, and he ended up ended up at Palace, which is you know a huge thing for us because he's clearly a very talented kid. Uh, Ed, you you and I were talking just before we went on air about you know the the practicality of of getting uh, these young players in the squad, and obviously Hodgson spoke about Kirby and said you know he's not really had a chance to look into the the youth setup at Palace because of the the pressure on him to to turn the first team around and. I guess you were saying it's going to be a going to be a while before we actually see him get a chance, if, if at all, in the current circumstances. Yeah, I just think the way we are at the moment, with the sort of trouble that we're in, it's a lot easier for a manager manager to have the courage to chuck lads like that in and give them a chance. If you're, you know, sitting pretty in mid table at the turn of the year, um, but where we are now, it would take a very brave guy to chuck a sort of 16, 17 year old in when we're in. The sort of the trouble we're in. I just hope a lot of the lads that are in this sort of the, the youth teams that are having quite a lot of success do get the chances at their clubs. I'd be interested to know what the makeup of the squad is in terms of how many of them are at the Chelsea's and Man United's and these teams that, especially Chelsea, that seem to pull so many of the youngsters in and then send them out on countless loans rather than give them a chance in their first team. Yeah, well, we've talked about it before. Chelsea have a, a, a you know a money-making system with how they stockpile talent and, and loan it out for you know seasons at a time and all that kind of stuff. But you know, if they start to break through, if they start particularly if they're playing like they are at the moment on the international stage, it's you know it's encouraging. It's encouraging to see that there's such a good team spirit there as well, which is a, a big thing that's been missing at the uh, the, the you know full international level. Uh, Dr, just a quick view from you on. Um, you know, on, on the sort of chances of anyone at, at Palace of a kid breaking through and how important you you think that is? Yeah, it's important, but you need to have talent first. Um, I don't think Kai Kai, I don't think he's good as people say he is. I think he's had a couple of games now 
and I don't, he hasn't lit the world apart. And you could argue if he played against big teams, yes, um, well, it's, uh, it's bigger teams, but he played against smaller clubs as well. He's played in the League Cup against Bristol, he's played against um, Ipswich, he played against many teams, and I still haven't seen anything from Kaikai. So, yeah, I don't think our players are good enough. But maybe someone like Kirby, or, you know, beyond that, like you say, do you see him getting on an opportunity? Uh, it depends on the manager. I don't think he'll get it under Hodgson. Um, I don't think Hodgson will take that risk. And also, this season will be very difficult. It depends where we are in the second half of the season. But I don't really see it happening. No, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. And obviously, Hodgson said similar. But I really hope that someone just gets an opportunity at some point. Patrick? Uh, I want to add one thing, Chris. I was lucky enough to coach one of the players at the World Cup. Um, Timothy Weyer played for USA. Father is George Weyer. Yeah, he grew, yeah. Up, he grew up in a, in Queens out here in New York, and I coached him from about uh, eleven to about thirteen. Then he went to uh, France. Now he's playing for PSG's academy. So I also think he's got a hat trick in the uh, game before he played for England. But um, see, there's a lot of talent worldwide. I mean, he's that kid's a brilliant player. He's going to be really good. And again, uh, as uh, we've been talking about Naya Kirby, again, I I agree. I don't think he'll get a chance under Hodgson, but I really hope that at some point. I think today's the 10th anniversary of John Bostock's um, first game for Palace. He played when he was 16 years old. So that's not going to happen in the Palace, obviously, when the Premier League. But it'd be nice at some point if a Lameca or Lakia or someone of those kids gets a chance this year to kind of prove themselves and get, you know, in the first team. It's almost as if you're psychic because the second thing I was going to talk about was <laughs> John Bostock posting not that long ago on Twitter saying, uh, you know, talking about what, you know, the dreams do come true. That posted a few pictures of him making his debut for Palace. And, it's nice to see in the, the replies, he got a, few, a small amount of stick from a couple of people, but most people were just saying, you know, pretty much glad glad you're getting your career back on track. Shame you left when you did. If you'd yeah. stayed, perhaps it would have been different, all this kind of stuff, but mostly positive stuff. And, you know, he's doing pretty well in France now. He's, he went out to Belgium, sort of played his way back into some kind of form, somewhere near the ability he, sh- he should have been showing. You know, now he's, he's in his, must be, what, 25, Ben, I would have thought. So, well, he is 25, isn't he? Coming up to 26. 26, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Playing, playing in France for lots and, and doing very well for them, by all accounts. Who knows, with uh, Dougie back at the club, maybe there's a way back to, to Palace if we, if we were to go down. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? It'd be a great story. Do you know what? I, I would actually love it. I don't know how you, you feel at home listening in. and you know, Do let us know if you want to. You can tweet at HOL Radio or... Uh, in the uh, in the chat room, it's actuallyradio.net forward slash chat, and I know you're in there, Ed. I wonder if we'll get some some views on Bostock in there. But uh, yeah, I you know for me, it's 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 a what could have been story there, and uh, just seeing a little couple of little clips of it, um, he was so confident on the ball as a, as a 15 year old. You kind of think, how has he not made it? And uh, I think we could all safely blame Spurs for that. That's my opinion. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's uh, let's get into the game. And, um, well, it was uh, the proverbial game of two halves, wasn't it? We we set up in a way that I suppose the first thing to really talk about is, is once again, we've been prevented from playing a consistent team through it through injuries. It's an incredible frustration. So Sacco got an injury against Newcastle, wasn't aware of it. They kept it quiet all week. Um, and unfortunately, they were just hoping that he would be fit and he wasn't. So Tompkins came in, despite having a, uh, like everyone, having a questionable game against Bristol City. And of course, MacArthur, uh, not fit as well, with an ankle injury, also picked up against Newcastle. Well, Hodgson revealed that he wasn't actually near anyone when he did damage to his ankle. He's obviously just twisted it in a 
in the pitch there. So, you know, real couple of big setbacks for us before we even got started because those are players that have been really important and, and on form. And interestingly, we had, you know, one in Tompkins who we know he's a decent player and he got to, he's playing against his old team. So perhaps that wasn't too much of a worry, even though Sacco is the better player. But certainly in Loftus-Cheek, if you heard our, our show last week, you know, none of us felt he deserved anything because he, because he just didn't tackle back uh, and didn't show enough, didn't show what we wanted him to show. But he actually came into the team and, and had a pretty good game. So I suppose, in a way, it shows you having better players around you, more confidence around you, can actually help your game as well. So first uh, first on that, really, I'll start with you, Patrick, if I can again. Um you know, there's not too much else that Hodgson could do with that selection, but injuries once again sort of hampered us, and, we, and that's perhaps why we struggled in that first half. I agree. We, you and I, did have a little discussion about Van Aanholt starting again. Now, um, I don't understand why he keeps starting. Um, <laughs> I know, yeah. I know, he got, I know he got hurt, and when he came off, if you looked at his face, he, he actually still wanted to keep going. Um, but for some reason, <laughs> shocking enough, it, the manager wanted to just take him off as soon as he could. So, um, but as far as the lineup, I mean, again. Uh, you know, lots of cheek again. I think he needs to play higher up, higher up the pitch to be more effective, and I think we saw that more in the second half. But I guess just from a, a standpoint of left back aside, I guess that was probably the best that we could put out. My disappointment, honestly, Chris, was the was the substitution substitutions. We had uh, three to four defenders on the on the bench. I mean, <laughs> I kept looking at that saying, if we're down two nil at halftime, hint hint, how are we going to come back? <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, well, we did. What do I know? Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's talk about Van Arnholt then. Got an absolute hammering, and rightly so, for his performance against Bristol City on this show over the last few weeks. We've really been questioning him in terms of, I suppose, a, a, a lot of it's about his positional ability as a defender. Uh, but we felt that he's, he's shown himself as a weak link, as Joel Ward has actually sort of got stronger. Uh, so let's talk about what the options are there. And uh, I felt before the game had actually played out the way it did, that Van Arnholt's in there because Schlupp had had a couple of real nightmare games at left-back and was being used further up the pitch. So you kind of take him out of the equation. For me, that's that's why I thought he's there. And, and what are our other options? Fossi meant to right-back, ward at left-back, as it happened in the second half uh, at times. But again, Fossi meant to play the majority of that game at left-back in the end. He didn't really think he was an option. But, you know, I think for, for me, I... I Van Arnholt should be better. Do you know what I mean? I can't get it out of my, out of my head. He shouldn't be playing like like that. There's just something in his brain where he just he wanders. He just goes wandering off, or he makes a colossal error, or something like that in a game, and it's a it's a point of frustration. But I just think the options aren't really there. And I think Terence said, I don't know if he said it on on the recording last week, but he certainly said it when he was hammered after the game, where he said we've spent, you know, 30 million on left backs and, and we've still got rubbish left backs. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. Yeah. DR, you wanted to make this point as well. So, you know, you're not a fan of Van Arnholt either. Uh, yeah. The last couple of weeks, he's been poor, especially defensively. Against Bristol City, both of us were there and you're just absolutely shocking what he'd done for the first place. And, uh, I was surprised that he started because after the game, Roy Hodgson did say that he made it clear that he saw what he saw today and he said the first 11 that were back home, um, they, they should sleep comfortably tonight because these players didn't show anything. However, I understand, I understand Van Aanholt is in the first 11, but he was the most shocking player and you could, I could read the world or Fosamensa can play left back 
You know, even you saw what Fossil Mesa could do second half, and also Riederwald has played left back by X, so I would have started both of them. I don't trust Slup, as, so yeah, it would have been either Fossil Mesa and Riederwald. Your, your views on this, Ed? Yeah, I think I've, I've been on holiday for a couple of weeks, so I missed the Chelsea game and obviously the Bristol game, but I watched uh, I was out in America, so I caught the Chelsea game on TV, and he, even in that, I know it was obviously a great team performance and result, but there was a couple of. I think where Hazard got flagged offside a couple of times and it was he was very close to he was sort of two or three yards deeper than the rest of the back four and we were lucky on a couple of occasions that he flagged offside rather than Van Anhalt playing him on and it's it's just his defensive concentration. He just seems to lapses and sort of goes to sleep and doesn't pick players up. But I mean what are Hodg- Hodgson's options are like you say, Schlupp played there a few games ago, was it Southampton at home and had a Bit of a shocker, um, and from what people are saying in the chat room, I think Booted Eagle saying Suarez or Papa isn't ready. Um, from what he saw on Tuesday night to yeah. sort of start Premier League games, so we've oh, got a great great deal of choice there at the moment. I'm afraid. No, that's that's very you know good observation from Booted. You know, Suarez isn't an option at the moment, unfortunately, and, and might not be for a while yet. Patrick. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, Sunderland fans said it. And I read it and I didn't want to believe it. But Van Aanholt is not a left back. He's a wing back who can score goals. Like he's not scoring goals or creating goals. He's useless. He's not a good defensive fullback. He never has been. That's why he can't get into the Dutch uh, team. Why Chelsea got rid of him. I mean, again, Terence is right. I mean, uh, Luke Shaw cost, what, 30 million? That's one rubbish left back. We bought three for the same price. <laughs> they're, just, they're just hard to get. They are. They're just hard to get good left backs. Yeah, well, again, that's something where we've we've got to look at the squad. And what I really did like about the the you know some of the changes were enforced, but we actually ended up with Zaha as a you know an attacking winger, Townsend as an attacking winger, you know Sacco was spearheading us, and then you had Loftus Cheek in the middle, and you know the other central midfielders around him, and then you know that that felt like a really good balanced attack, and I think that actually took a bit of pressure off. Um, Fosu Mensah at left back and Ward at right back because they actually had the support of play- people who were playing as wingers. Now it's funny because I- I've kind of looked at the squad lately. We've been- all been talking about the lack of striker, but we haven't really got a lack of wingers. But we started the game against West Ham playing essentially playing Loftus Cheek as a right winger, and we've also been playing Macarthur as a right winger. Now I- I'm going to hold my hands up and say it worked. You know, playing central midfielder who's, who's- who's responsible for being out wide right, but quite rightly, they're drifting in. The same thing happens with uh, Schlupp on the other side, although he is a, he can play wing. He often drifts inside as well. That's the system we've been using. But the system we ended up with, which is a bit more like the familiar 4-3-3, which we usually have Benteke spearheading, I just think the players look so much more comfortable with that. Um, and, you know, we you saw us just gather momentum. And as soon as we switched to that formation through the changes that we did make, we were absolutely brilliant. We really were and should have scored an awful lot more goals than we did. Um, so, you know, I saw a lot to be positive in the changes. But it just, I think it's a great game for, for Roy Hodgson to learn and, and the coaching staff as well to learn an awful lot about the players. So I'm, I'm seeing it that way. Obviously, we're still bottom of the league. We've, we've got four points. It was a game at home that we should have won and we didn't. But I think, you know, let's, we, we get, we're getting these types of games out of the way now and I'm seeing steady improvement at, at home and we should, honestly, should have got something out of Newcastle as well. But there is a question to be asked, asked and answered about 
how we approached the first half and how it goes back to a little bit about how we approached the game as an away side against Newcastle as well. Um, let's bring you in on this, DR, because I feel that we, we got shown that we were we were not forward-thinking enough, we were not confident enough in possession, we didn't believe or trust in each other in that first half, and we were sloppy in possession, weren't on the front foot, and we just, you know, we effectively handed a very poor team the opportunity to go 2-0 up against us. Is that fair? Yes, I think it is fair, but I think it is more than tactics as well. I feel like the players were the distribution of the players weren't great um especially when we're going from the right hand side i felt like Wood struggled um and also a central they closed our like main man uh kabai milivojevic down it was a bit of a west ham um gaining confidence from spurs game and us a little bit rattled by that but i think second half as you saw when we went into halftime and when West Ham changed their tactics and went more ne- negative approach, you saw it was a bit different half. We had more freedom. And I think as a consequence, it was more about confidence as well rather than tactics and how West Ham were playing. But yeah, I know what you mean about the confidence, but I don't know if we should be starting a game at home with, with that lack of confidence when we're playing a team that's you know in and around us. And for, for me... Well, why does it take going 2-0 down and having Hodgson at half-time having to, you know, to get into the players and to, to push them to be more positive? Why does that have to happen? You know, surely the players have got to take that level of responsibility, right, Dio? Yeah, they, they should take the responsibility. But you have to also look at the West Ham side. They were high in confidence. They just beat their biggest rivals, Tottenham. And I'm not saying West Ham played perfectly. But off the off the ball, they were positioned. I think they were positioned on right, and also luck played a part as well. We we're greatly unlucky the whole game, but in first half, the West Ham were lucky as well. So I think luck and their confidence coming from the Spurs game played a part in that. I think it's it's just a mixture of both. Yeah, that's luck fa- and confidence it is is a fair point, and you know we did we did have moments of of poor luck as well as, as lack of confidence on the ball. And I think really Kabai, Zaha and probably Luca to a degree, although he was responsible for the second goal uh, in some way. I think those were the players who actually had the confidence on the ball, but the rest seemed really withdrawn within themselves. But we did have that early injury to, to Van Arnholt. And I think that, you know, without being too mean to him, that did help us. I think once he went off the pitch, we seemed to have a slightly better balance in the back four, but it did take a while for us to settle down. And, I think the first major talking point of the game, the first thing that happened was just before West Ham scored. And that was the penalty shout on Zaha. Um, so, <laughs> Ed, penalty? Yes. See, everyone is adamant about this. Patrick, penalty? Uh, definitely, yes. More, more than the Italian penalty, I think. Yeah, yeah Dio? Dio? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a penalty. Yeah, see, I, I initially when I saw it, I thought clear penalty. And then I, I saw a replay, um, and I don't know. I can't honestly, I can't honestly make my mind up about the the connection on his right knee because I look every time I look at it, I think has as the it's the first contact, the hands on his back. Because if it is, Wolf's already going down at that point. Is there actually contact just on Wolf's right knee as he goes past him? And I I couldn't make my mind up and every time I see the clip I convince myself of the opposite and that's the only reason that if I have that doubt that's the only reason I can think that the referee might have that doubt and just before I come back to you guys on that 
Um, it is probably worth noting that I'm wrong because the referee told Wilf exactly. that, that there was contact, but he didn't think it was enough for a penalty, which is a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, back, back, back to you, Ed. Yeah, I mean, Bobby Madley, Jesus, yesterday. <laughs> um, but <coughs> Both it's clubs a, hated him. Like, oh, he was terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was equally a shite for both teams, wasn't he? So, but, I mean, that pen, it's, a hundred, it's a penalty all day long. The speed that Wilf is running at, there is the contact before the hands in the back. On his right knee, as he plants his right foot, Fonte's knee hits his knee. And you can see as he plants his foot, that it almost causes the leg to straighten. And at the speed Wilf's running at, that contact with the knee prevents him from taking the next stride at the normal sort of step that he would take. So his body at the speed he's running at starts to overtake his feet. So when he goes after the contact knee on knee, when he goes to take that next step, he can't take it properly, which is why he starts going over. And then the hands in the back just send him straight to the deck. I mean, how he says there's contact, but not enough at, speed the game's running at how he can tell what's enough contact yeah that's that's but also that's also not cop, a thing it's that's, a cop out if that if yeah. that foul is on the halfway line 10 times out of 10 bobby madley gives a free kick yeah it's just bottled a big decision yeah and you know not not enough contact for a foul that's not a thing yeah is is, is there contact or isn't there if there is it's a foul if there isn't it isn't so to say there's not enough contact you know i yeah i've i've seen it's one of those penalties where you go, oh, there's, there's not much contact, so it's soft, but it's still a foul. Uh, Dia? Yeah, um, as you were saying, um, there was actually contact. and I'm not, I don't think Wilf just lost balance. Um, even the ref said there was contact. And it was just Bobby, whatever his name is, Bobby Maddy. He was atrocious yesterday for both sides. And it was a ridiculous decision. If there's a contact, it should it's a foul. And he was inside a box and it was a clear penalty. Wilf lost his balance. Maybe if he went more drastically down, the ref would have immediately gave it. But he wasn't as drastic. He just went down as he should have and instead of diving. So yeah. it was it was poor from the ref. And you can see, you know, the way he went down. And he just, he just sat there on the floor. There was no screaming and shouting. There was no, you know, disbelief. It just, so much as if he's having to accept it, because it does happen quite a lot. I suppose he probably does have a bit of a reputation, perhaps unfairly. But uh, there we go. Um, and obviously, being in, us being Palace, we are punished. We goes pretty much straight up the other end. Uh, the theme continued for the opening half an hour of everyone thinking that Cresswell's invisible, so uh, completely free on that on the side. Drills in across, no one's ever close to it, and yeah, obviously outside of the foot from from Chicharito, who who really later later on in the game was just an awful awful human being, trying to get James Tompkins sent off, just horrible play acting, nasty little player. Uh, sort of effectively shoulder barge slash headbutted Tompkins in the chest to make him react and then rolls around like he's been shot. Oh, horrible, horrible little player. But anyway, outside of the foot, goes relatively near to Sproni. He gets a, gets a hand on it, but at that distance, at that pace, you know, you can't really fault the goalkeeper. Lots of people on Twitter, oh, if Hennessy was there and he'd let that again, he'd have a go at him. I don't think so. I don't think either goal... I'd have a go at Wayne Hennessy for it. There's plenty of other people to have a go at about those, I think. Um, so there you go. Uh, let's let's get a couple of thoughts from you, gents, on it, though. Uh, and I'll start with you, Patrick, if I may. A um, lot going wrong there. But again, it's... And I, and I say this every time we've played West Ham since they've had Cresswell. 
it's like he's got an invisibility cloak. We just do not pick him up ever. And a lot of teams use that, particularly down Ward's side of the overlapping fullback, because we seem we seem just to allow that to happen. Yeah, and I'm not sure why. I mean, I you're absolutely right. I remember he did it last year. Uh, I guess it was Lanzini also made a similar cross for a similar goal against mm-hmm. us. So I, they obviously have, have picked our weakness on our team, which is which is Ward. Which is scary that we that we don't uh, we haven't addressed it, but or even Ward himself hasn't addressed it in the way he played. But uh, it, it is frustrating, Chris, because you're right. Um, uh, Chris was a decent player, so I'm not going to you know put him down. But he, he had the freedom of Pillars Park to make that cross yesterday, and, and uh, like you, I was a little. I I thought when it first went in that perhaps Jules was off balance, but you know at that speed, there's there's no way he can make that save again. Even I, the harshest critic of Wayne Hennessy, wouldn't have blamed him for that goal, and I've right. criticised him. Every time I speak about him, so <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was uh, you know, and I suppose you can point at the other end, and we'll talk a bit more about Joe Hart throughout the uh, the, the review, I think. But you point at the other end, and he's made ridiculous saves at times, and you can say, well, we've not had that, you know, whether whether Jules has been in goal, whether Wayne has been in goal, which we that's what we've not had all season. So you know, again, you had West Ham had two shots first half and two goals, so it's that is a, that is a big frustration. But uh, go deal your views on that, that opening uh, goal. Um, yeah, on opening goal, it was clearly Ward's fault because he was too central and right next to Scott Dan and he just lost Aaron Cresswell. However, going back to this game, um, you can see how much Ward was struggling without Maka. I think last couple of games when Ward has had, has had a couple of good games, it's yeah. with Maka, when Maka tracked back. And I feel like um, this game especially, when we haven't had any, uh, Maka inside, Ward struggled. And that's a bad thing because we can't always rely on Maka. So, yeah, going back uh, to what you guys were saying, um, right back is a problem and it's a liability for a very long time now. And we need to I- try and solve it. That is a really good point there because cause, uh, this goes back to what we were saying last week about Loftus-Cheek, you know, what I was saying earlier about Loftus-Cheek and the fact that he he's going forward, he's, he's a very, very good player. Tackling back doesn't seem that interested, you know, and that was a criticism of at Chelsea, as, as Terence pointed out last week. And, uh, yeah, Ward didn't have a lot of protection. But um, we've had a, a tweet in from Bramie Eagle on that, who's talked about the fact that the impro- improvement actually came as soon as Ward came off and he was awful again, must not start games. And also said he doesn't think it was a pen. But I think that's quite harsh on, on Joel Ward, who's someone I've criticised a lot. But I will acknowledge that there was an improvement in, in the side again. But I think that's a lot more to do with tactics. But anyway, Ed, you wanted to jump back in on that on that comment? Yeah, just on the first goal, I'm, I've written in my notes about Loftus-Cheek that DR's brought up there. If you... Watch the first goal when it goes out. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. After the sort of penalty appeal and they bring it out we never quite recover our 
sort of bank of four across midfield, it's a little bit all over the place, and it goes out right, and it's it's knocked into Hernandez's feet. Loftus Cheeks actually walking back, and he's on the centre spot near enough. So, if he's in our midfield four, supposed to be on the right hand side, that's why there's very little in front of um, Ward, and they quite quickly realise that and switch it over to the left where Cresswell's sort of stood in acres of space. I think it's a valid point about MacArthur when he's played in front of Ward is when it's made Ward look even better because he's afforded that protection in front of him. Where Loftus-Cheek, you can tell he's really is a sort of false nine or a central midfielder because yesterday when he was supposed to be playing out of right, there was a lot of times where he wanted to drift inside to get involved. And I think that's where Ward's been left a little bit exposed yesterday. Yeah, and and, I think... Go on, go on, Patrick. And, and Chris, you know what? Honestly, when Yannick played in front of Ward, he played his best for, for us also. Yannick's gave him a lot of protection when he was on our team. So it's a very good point about him needing protection using it to his benefit. Yeah, and I, this is where I get a little frustrated, though, because, you know, I look at the manager and I think he's clearly recognised that. So he must also recognise, you know, that, that you've got to put the right player there. And I go back to my point about, OK, we've got no strikers, but we've got, we've got plenty of wingers. So, you know, there should be people who can play in that position in an orthodox way that can actually give the protection that the ward needs. And again, I think through the enforced changes, we ended up in a position where the fullbacks were better protected. A lot of that has got to do with West Ham sitting back and trying to protect a lead because they were so desperate to, to do so. That was their whole thing. They got in two goals ahead. They thought, you know, this is this is going to be an away win and, you know, a, a huge boost for them. But so so they played into our hands a little bit so defensively the fullbacks had less pressure but i just think that there's a little bit you know not, i wouldn't even call it criticism but i just hope that there's a lesson being learned there about whichever fullbacks we pick they are they do they do need to be protected particularly against the better teams who shift the ball quickly uh, now go, no, go on Ed. so i was just i think that goes back to our and i don't want to keep harping on about it but not having any strikers at the moment so we're having to use our sort of best two wingers in Andros and Wilf as sort of playing as a front two, rotating between themselves. So we're having to play Jimmy Mack or Ruben out wide. So it sort of stems from our inability to get another striker in and now Benteke being injured. Yeah, fair enough. And DR initially put in the chat to ignore him, which is <laughs> the best thing you've ever said to me. I was delighted about that, but now you want to speak again. Yeah, but yeah, I know... Uh, I know where you're coming from, Chris, about um, having protection for the wing packs, but it just shows how much of a liability Ward is. Um, we shouldn't have a player that has to cover for Ward. We should have a right back there that could actually do his job. And that's the bad thing. That's why we need to play someone else. Fossil well, Mensah would have been great there. So it's bad how you're criticising the manager <laughs> to have uh, put a player there to protect Ward. That shouldn't be the case. If well, we can't defend then put another player in. Well, well, let's look at it in a couple of ways where I, I get what you mean. You, in, a, in an ideal world, you'd have a, you'd have a, a right back there. And let's not forget that Fossey Mensah played right back against Bristol City and was awful. Right. So that's, that's one, that's a point worth making, but did very well yesterday. But I think more importantly, what I'm saying here is it's not so much, you know, whoever you put in at right back, however good they are, if you've got an opponent who's overlapping, so their wide player is either drifting inside and let the fullback go past them, or they're both staying wide and going past them. You know, whoever's there can't mark two players, so that's where the protection's needed, no matter who you got there. Now we look at the goal yesterday that we've been talking about. 
there is no one else out there. It's just that's Ward's man, right? He's got to get out to that. But because it's the fullback, he's done that thing with his exactly what we were talking about. He's tucked inside, gone narrow, and gone next to Scott Dan. Whereas what he should be doing is looking around and thinking, oh, right, there's literally no one else. Loftus Cheek has gone wandering off elsewhere. Oh, that's my man out there who's got the ball right now. I've got to get to him. But, but my frustration, the manager, is that he should know this. And more importantly, we had half an hour of that happening before we actually conceded. There was, there was half an hour in the game to actually try and get some message on the pitch to someone about getting the hell out there and stopping Cresswell doing what he's doing. So... Yeah, I, I get your point. You know, I can't just pick on the manager for it because you've got to look at the players managing the game themselves as they play it. Because you know, obviously, Roy Hodgson's out on the sidelines; he can only do so much. But you know, I, I just think there's a there's a point of discussion worthwhile there. Yeah, and I I agree with you in that aspect. But you have to also give credit to Roy Hodgson because in the second half he took Ward off. I don't think any other like many Premier League managers would would do that so you know it's, it's a 50-50 situation I think Ward has been a liability for a very long time it's not something that's happened recently we should play someone like Fossil Mesa there now that we have him and we shouldn't rely on other players to protect Ward I definitely yeah. do I definitely Hodgson deserves huge credit for the, the turnaround in the second half and for the decisions that he made absolutely the, him and the coaching staff did a great job to turn us around as did the players totally get that but, you know, we're talking about heading into a period of, of games where we cannot afford to have terrible first halves and go in 2-0 down and, and then scramble a point. However good that felt and however huge, however much it feels like a win, it wasn't a win. Uh, but I don't want to get too negative. I really don't. I'm in danger of doing it. You set me off on a rant. I've deliberately done no hamblings rambling this week to try and stay positive. And uh, there we go. We're, uh, we're already started on the, the negative stuff. But let's... You know, if we could just get this first half out of the way and start talking about the second, hopefully we'll get a bit more uh, happy and smiley and all that sort of stuff. So next thing that happened in the game, okay, we've gone one nil down, got up the other end, a couple of little chances, a couple of corners in a row. The second corner, ball finds its way, I think, to Loftus-Cheek at the near post, who heads it back across for James Tompkins. Great header, really firm header, gets well above his man. Hart, excellent reaction save. Um, but what's more incredible is uh, I don't know how much credit you give it because it does, does just hit him but what's really important is he gets up off the ground quickly and for that reason he's set for another shot by the time the Schlupp has reacted superbly instincts of a striker because he has played there hooks the ball brilliantly and just as Hart's hand comes up again you know comes up to the side of him as he stands up flicks off the top of his arm and goes over the bar and it is it is not a deliberate save, but by the token of how he quickly gets up, it is an incredible save. So amazing stuff there. But just sums up Palace, because that really should have been 1-1, Patrick. Yeah, it shouldn't. You know, I'm cursing at my television saying we're going to get no luck this, you know, today because it's one of those days. And you just you made a good point because Joe Hart had a fantastic game yesterday. And that save, though he didn't mean to do it, you're right. The, the key part was him getting up and being in that position to save. Because if he saves on the ground, which most guys will do, it's easily 1-1. So um, uh, it it really was a a great double save, and and again, just cursed the TV saying you know we can't get luck today, and you know it kind of continued later on, but it was really I mean it, it, honestly Hart just stood his head yesterday against us, it was brilliant. Yeah, and and Ed, you know you're fearing the worst at that point, aren't you? When when you see someone produce a double save like that, and for all the world you think that that shot from Schlupp's gone in. Yeah, I mean how it even like you say he's got up very quickly and done well, it's just hit his arm, but. 
even how it from then it has gone directly up in the air and over the bar like and not just into the roof of the net it's just unbelievable and at that point and a few other points throughout the game yesterday I said to my dad it feels like it's going to be one of those days because it was just you know the ball's not dropping for us or saves like that getting made and the ball going over it was you start to worry that it's just going to be one of them days but okay yeah absolutely and, and I think it, even more so because we've we've tried to come back you know we're back on the front foot credit to the players you know we've, we've conceded a a poor goal um against what I call against the run of the play just after getting a, a genuine penalty shout turned down could feel very sorry for ourselves but we've got up we've dusted ourselves off and created a genuinely fantastic couple of chances in quick succession then what happens we one of our better players over the last few weeks and yesterday actually in, in general was Luka Milivojevic but he just gets caught in possession and that's happened a few times this season but what happens from there you know you've you've it's a very very quick pass to to Ayu and he just you know all he has to do is run and I think when Scott Dan looks back at it <laughs> you know he's going to be pretty embarrassed because he's just turned in and out and it's too easy again he's you know Tompkins have sees that happening and, and tries to come across and that makes use mind up he's just going to go for it and it's a superb strike you know there's no keepers getting in near that at all there's, there's nothing to talk about there it's just a fabulous strike but what happened before it is is where the concern is for me and um again so much space dr isn't there you know who who should be there who should be coming out to him and, and why is dan committed the way he's committed well, the midfielders weren't there in the positions. I think that was a massive impact because he was just straight on with Dan. But Dan was—it was really poor from Dan. The way he just cut in and out—it just—it was just too basic. And yeah, I think if the midfielders were there, it would have been a different case. But Dan should have still done better. He shouldn't always rely on midfielders. But yeah, it was just one of them things. Um, Dan has, Dan will look back at it and he'll probably be disappointed. He should be disappointed. It was a poor defensive error. Um. Patrick, anything to add to that? Is there anything that you know? Is there anything to say? Is it just you know? I, I get I get a bit worried that I'm being critical when it's such a wondrous strike, but we really could have stopped it, couldn't we? Yeah, you stop it at the source, which is when he makes begins to make the run. But um, it's disappointing because I think our our defenders in general this year have not been as good as we know they can be. And you, when you get turned inside out like Dan did yesterday, you've got to take a long look, look at himself as to why that's happening. But um, again, Thompson came over. Tompkins, I guess, maybe a little quicker could help. But again, it's a, it's a, it's a great shot. I mean, you know, from that standpoint, you're not, you're not saving that. But um, you, you, I, I agree. If we just stopped it at the source, maybe, and, and there was no midfield. I mean, if if Luka misses that ball, you like maybe goodbye to be behind him. But again, again, it's mid, middle field. You're kind of looking to get the ball in transition to go, go and attack. So it was opportun, opportunistic play by IU. You can't. Uh, blame, uh, blame the keeper for that but again it would be nice if we could have defended better and that's one of my biggest concerns all year that we make mistakes like that they cost us every time and it cost us yesterday yeah look it, it is frustrating and it's part of it's part of the you know the, the, the game at the moment the, the, well it's the games that we're, that we're having we're getting these spells where we're not playing so well but right. again like I said before we've we've got to you know this is this is why this show really is going to be a show of two halves, you know, because of the way the game went. You know, we're, I've just got just got some stick in from Rickers. Cheers, mate. 
non-stop bitching are there any players you like just checking is this north stand chat yeah cheers mate we're nothing, nothing like context is there we're talking about the first half first half was shocking we lost 2-0 west ham talking about the players that were at fault but guess what when we talk about the second half we'll be talking about all the great things that the players did you know so just hold fire for a sec mate eh? uh ed uh yeah just on the second goal i think there's nothing you can do about the shot i think lucas it's his first touch is not great. He gets it sort of stuck under his feet. His second one takes him into trouble and the West Ham player realises it and presses him quite quickly um, and gets mugged for it. And then I think Scott Dan, he's either got to make his mind up when he starts backtracking, either has got to just take the yellow card about 35, 40 yards from goal and just clean him out. There you go. Um, or when he goes on the inside, when Ayu goes onto his right foot, he just needs to keep showing him that way. You've got to know that your striker, your marking is all left-footed. Yeah, you show him inside onto your right foot where Tompkins is, but when he gets twisted that way, he sort of makes it very easy for Ayu that he sort of sort of takes a big stride back to try and get almost as if he thinks the shot's coming, and that just makes Ayu's mind up to go back on his left where he wants to go anyway. Yeah, you pull the shot off. You're exactly right there. Rickers is asking what should Dan have done, and that, that's the perfect answer. That's exactly there you what go. Dan should exactly. have done. Great job, you know, it, it's. Is is that it's the it's the jump in at the point where he comes back from the right side into his onto his left foot where where Dan has sold himself. Listen, you know, let's let's talk about Scott Dan. He's been great this season. You know, he, he's he's gone from being a player that was really struggling last year. We a lot of people were talking about the captaincy weighing on him, and he's not a proper captain and all this kind of stuff. You know, I think with Sacco alongside him, he looks excellent. I think he's been able to show what a good footballer he is, a footballing defender this year. Um, and he's been asked to do, you know, stupid things like play up front for half a game. You know, he's 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 a very very good player, Scott Dan. But he, I'm just saying, he will be disappointed when he goes when he sees that. And and Ed's, you know, summed it up perfectly as to as to what he perhaps should have done. But you know, look, he's he's trying to stop a goal. But there you go. It's a great strike from Ayu. We're two 0 down, and it's very very undeserved because as much as we weren't at it in the first half, neither were West Ham. And they've had two shots, scored two goals, and it looks like we're dead and buried. Uh, Ed, bit in the chat room before we get to the joy of the second half. Yeah, just a couple of bits on uh, that second goal. And Scott Dan, um, booted Eagles, just saying, showed how we rely on Sacco. Um, and caused an eagle, saying, Dan's movement made Speroni's job impossible. Uh, he needed to narrow the angle, not get turned inside out three or four times. Um, and Ash Eagles saying, uh, Dan should have brought him down, so... There you go. And, it's, and, you know, obviously hindsight does help. But, you know, in, in the, the spur of the moment in a game, it's it's difficult. You know, these things, are, it's the fine lines that can cost you, unfortunately. But there you go. Experienced player. will be gutted about that. But hopefully, so I still think he'll look better with Sacco alongside him. Although, of course, you know, Tompkins and Sacco last year were a very good partnership as well. So good to have some competition back there, too. Um, so, gents. <laughs> just as I've managed to press the wrong button and lose my notes for the second half. Good work, good work, Chris. So, um, very early in the second half, and this is absolutely key, of course, uh, Zaha's putting down the left-hand side, runs straight to the defender, lovely little reverse pass into Townsend. Townsend, fantastic running all game. He's one of the heroes of the season. Never gives up, never stops running, you know, full of quality. Just that, you know, that final ball, that final moment of score, maybe scoring a goal or grabbing an assist hasn't been coming for him, but he's done absolutely everything else this year. And uh, 
very, very clever in winning that penalty. So, you know, Patrick, you said, obviously, Zohar's was more of a, a penalty than Townsend. He's won that one, hasn't he? Well, he definitely has. And, uh, and you know, you hate to get into Bobby Maddy's head, but you've got to think he's probably made a little bit of a make-up on that one. Um, again, I think Zaha's was more of a penalty than Townsend. But Townsend did a, did a great job. Again, great ball by by Zaha to slip him in. And um, I thought it was a really stupid tackle by the West Ham player, thank goodness. Because I don't think he needed to... If you look at it, he's gone away from the goal. There's only to even make that tackle there. So uh, we caught a break. And luckily, uh, Luca uh, did a great job in, in finishing it. Yeah, absolutely right. It was... Uh... You know, he's he's a bit of a hero from the penalty spot. I think uh, Zaha, after the game, was saying, you know, effectively there's, there was no doubt in his mind that that was 2-1 before it was even taken. And I didn't see much doubt in uh, Luca's mind either. Grabs the ball, which I always like to see. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, you could, West Ham fans calling it a soft penalty. As you <laughs> said, Patrick, it, you know, as much as it might have been a bit soft, he's got no reason to make that challenge there. Mm-hmm, nope. Towns has been so clever buying that challenge. Perfect touch at the right moment. Just and it, in the touch that he made as well, it just it kind of emphasised how it, it made the challenge look worse than it was. As well, because it, <laughs> exactly. it looked like he was about forty-five minutes late for it. It was it was uh, <laughs> yeah, great great stuff. And obviously, it's a brilliant way of getting us back in the game. And I won't dwell too much on. That because we, we've kind of talked about it all. So I'll get the other guys to talk to me about Kabai's efforts shortly afterwards because the tails were up, the place was rocking, the movement and the, the passing was so much more incisive. The movement was clever. We were really looking a good team again. And straight away, you know, the, the ball comes across to Kabai and you're just screaming for him to hit it. And he does that that the perfect thing because you can see Hart is looking for it to be a, a right foot curler to the other side and is starting to move. And Kabai is a clever, clever player and he's been very good at late and just cuts back across it. And uh, it's the only thing is that because he's cutting back across it, that curl is actually just taking it further towards the post as he hits it and it's inside of the post and they can so often just spin straight into the net, but this time spins right across. That was a heart in mouth moment, wasn't it, Dr? Yeah, it was just one of them things. You're like, oh, it's just going to be like this, isn't it? It's going to be one of the days where we're going to miss chances from literally everywhere. Simple goals, open goals, we're not going to score. But yeah, it was it was just unlucky. It was just, everyone was just crazy around me. Everyone was like, oh, wow, it's going to be one of the days. And yeah, it was just one of those shots. He called it, hit the post. Nothing can do much. It's just luck. We need sometimes luck doesn't like us, and it was just one of the moments. <laughs> yeah. I, don't about, I don't know about you, Ed, but I, I actually, I think I said it in our uh, Homestay Radio chat as well that, you know, we've been playing well, but that was it. That was our moment to, uh, you know, and if that goes in, I think we went, we would go on to win the game. Uh, and, I, and I really felt that that was probably going to be it, especially as the time started ticking on. Yeah, I think that moment was key. It came from like a nice little sort of passage of play with Wilf. I think Wilf sort of in that sort of left inside channel, he fancied his chances up against um, Zabalespita and Fonte, who are both sort of ageing a bit now and a little bit slower. So he sort of was hanging around in that area, which I think influenced a little bit of our change in shape that came on, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But he got it into Schlapp and he's pulled it obviously back to Kabai. It wasn't the the actual set that he's given him wasn't, it was sort of skidding off the deck. The first touch from Kabai is superb because it's sort of bouncing and bobbling as it comes to him, just kills it. And like you say, just has pulled it across his body. And I said exactly what you've just said there. I turned to my dad and said, because the place was, it was 
it was only a couple of minutes, wasn't it, after the first goal, after the penalty, and the place was absolute sellers, was absolutely rocking. I said to my dad, I was like, if that had gone in, we win this game. I said it to him there and then, like, if we'd have gone two all then, with that long left in the game, with the way the crowd was, I think we'd have probably rolled them over three or four two, without a doubt. Definitely. I mean, when you look at the chances we created anyway, it, sh- it should have been that. But, yeah. you know, we, t- we talk about Joe Hart and the game that he had. I mean, not too long after Kabai's uh, hit the post, Zaha's had a, a fairly close-range shot as he tries to shoot across him. Well saved by Hart. Again, pushes it out. No one can get on the end of it. Um, and again, you're thinking, what well, you know, that's, that's a fine save because Zaha's hit it very, very well. And I think that was just uh, before the moment. So just after, it was just after that that uh, the ward went off. And we brought Sacco on. And, you know, Sacco as a striker is I'm warming to him because you know he, he seems to have dropped a, a bit of weight. Um, you know, he seems to be kind of relishing playing that role. It's not natural to him. He obviously drifts out to the wings uh, while he's on there, but he gave us something different and it allowed us to go to that that four three three shape. You know, we had. Schluck dropped back into left-back. Fossi Mensa went out to right-back. And, of course, you had Zaha Townsend in their natural places uh, with, with Loftus-Cheek dropping in central uh, behind Sacco. And all of a sudden, as an attacking unit, as I said earlier, we looked so much better. Um, but if anything, it was, you know, the, the possession we had was, was more impressive than the actual sort of chance creation. Every chance we had seemed to fall with Zaha in the box just having a go. It was either blocked or... He had another one saved a little bit later on and it was really getting frustrating. And you had those little moments, like I said earlier on, where Chicharito had a little bit of a nibble at, at Tompkins and Tompkins could have perhaps gone for the reaction. You know, you had the ref adding to the frustration of both sets of fans and getting you wound up. And the noise and the frustration was building and building and building. And it was, you know, it's that, that incredible kind of electricity you get when you're just desperate for something to happen. You don't think it's going to happen, but you still hope. And I think when Hodgson talks about the fact that no one had left in the 96th minute, that shows you the level of hope we've got as, as Palace supporters at the moment. We can't let go. We're still still desperate. So before we talk about the, the final magic moment, there was a... Uh, Luca got forward quite well and got fouled on the, just on the edge of the area, really. And, um, yeah, we've got a few who can take the free kicks now. Luca himself hits a very, very good free kick. Townsend, it looked all for the world like it was a left footer who could have t- come in and taken that one, and Townsend was lurking around it. But Kabai took it, and um, Patrick, it would have been a reward for him, wouldn't it, but for a great performance had Hart not got across to what was a really good effort. Yeah, I agree. Kabai had a, had a, had a really good match, and um, you know, set plays have been an issue for us, and I actually thought maybe Luca might take it because um, I've, I've been very impressed with him. But no, it was a really great free kick by Kabai, and I've seen him score those you know, for Newcastle. And it's a shame he hasn't really connected on one for us in the last, you know, two plus years because he's got in his locker to put that put that kind of figure kind. It was a you know, well taken. Like you said, Saka was standing on it for a left footer. But, you know, he hit it over the wall and uh, a little bit higher, I think it would have beaten Hart. But again, it just showed how kind of game that Hart had. He just made a really, really good save to frustrate us for another few minutes. Absolutely right. And, um, of course, D.O. a little bit later than that. There was a moment where Tompkins gets his head to another ball in. Uh, hits the bar, falls to Sacco, and he manages to hook it over the top. You know, you're talking injury time by this point. Everyone must be going absolutely mad, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things people couldn't believe it if it actually what they saw actually happened. He was 
It's just crazy. I, that's what with Sacco, um, I don't see him as a striker. I feel when he's up front, he causes more chaos to the defenders than rather being an attacking player. That's what he brings to the game. And yeah, just one of them chances. I think he didn't. He was shocked as well the way he dropped to him and he hit over the bar. And as I said before, I just felt like it's going to be one of them games where we're not going to get a goal. We're not going to get a second goal, and we're just going to lose. And where we should have actually won the game instead of even draw. But yeah, and then a couple of minutes later, you see what happens. <laughs> well, yeah, and obviously, I, I, I correct myself a little bit. I did say that they had to hit the bar. Of course, it did hit the bar, but not after uh, the fingertips of Joe Hart had tipped it there. Again, it was another incredible save and another reason why you just you just thought this wasn't the moment. But when the moment did come, and we'll, we'll talk about the part that West Ham played in it, but when the moment did come, I thought it had already gone. Do you know what I mean? As in... The ball came across from Townsend to Loftus Cheek, who plays it to Zaha. Zaha tries to go on his left, and there's two players there, and he's kind of shut down a little bit. So I thought, oh my god, that's you know that was our moment, but he's it's gone. But then he just does what Zaha does, wriggles back across, ball through, you know, just drilled into the bottom corner, not even particularly hard, just brilliantly well placed. And of course, the the emotion, not just in the crowd, but you know, you saw the pictures of Zaha afterwards, tears in his eyes, can't quite believe what he's done. It's just such a magical time, and I don't know if you've ever heard anything like it in your life. It's just incredible that moment, and and how long it goes on for as well. Uh, I'll get Patrick's reaction to this first, but I've also got questions for Dr on it as well. Oh no! <laughs> the the well, thing is, Chris, we actually um, Zaha actually almost got the exactly same thing about a minute earlier. Because um, if you remember, um, Loftus-Cheek made a great run and it played him in. And he cut back and he shot. And I think it was either saved or deflected or out. And then that's when the ball turned over to um, Antonio. went down to the corner for some reason. Instead of keeping him on the corner, which he had done earlier and frustrated um, Schlupp from trying to tackle him. He actually had to cross the ball in. And then obviously, Jules, great distribution out and we go and score. But uh, it's the emotion of that. I can't I can imagine being at Sellers Park with that ball went in because... Just watching it on TV and just seeing the reaction of the players in the crowd, and we all four goals scored in the eight two in the Homestead end, and it was just amazing, uh, you know, the reaction of the players and the fans when we scored that goal. Yeah, absolutely, it, it really was. And then you talk about the yeah, it was it was a save earlier on from Wilf, and that was kind of the moment where I just right. sort of shook, shook my head and thought, yeah, ah, so yeah, that's it. There we go. What a great effort it is. But yet again, we're going to be hearing about we didn't get what we deserved and all this <laughs> exactly. kind of crap. <laughs> And but I tell you, Antonio's getting the stick, and and you should get some stick. But but I think the bigger problem was that two or three West Ham players had pulled to the edge of the area and were exactly. and were unmarked. Exactly. So he's looked up. He thought, well, might as well kill the game. Yep. And it was just such a shocking cross. <laughs> uh, but let's let's talk specifically about what happened because first of all, Tompkins chesting it back to Speroni. Cool as, cool as you like. That is fantastic, right? <laughs> but let's talk about Julian Speroni, okay? And this is why he gets the love that he gets because he's switched on all the time. Yep. He's always thinking about the, the, the next moment he's going to be involved. He's thinking about what the team are doing. You know, he is so engaged with what he does that in the 96th minute, he's thinking, I'm setting up an attack here. This is not, you know, what I've got to get this absolutely perfect. And he does. He gets it absolutely perfect. You know, he, he, he gets it out. And he doesn't just hoof it upfield to hope something gets knocked down, playing percentages or anything like that. He thinks, let's put a move together here. And... Townsend gets so much credit for me as well um, because the the run he makes it, it's you know it could very very easily have lost that ball his legs could have been heavy at that point 
but he's he's a machine when he gets going and he plays it perfectly does the exact right thing loftus cheek is very very calm in possession and knows he's going to get that ball to wilf but then you just get the magic feet of wilfred zaha and it's you know the the guy is a legend, you know, and we've talked about it for years. I, I've said that, you know, he became my favourite player a couple of years ago, beyond everyone. So he's just so far ahead. He's just the best player ever to play for Palace, in my view. And I know some other people will have some strong views on that, and rightly so. We've all got different experiences, but, you know, I just pray and hope that, that, that we keep him for as long as we possibly can, because he's just a joy, a joy to watch. And uh, and DR. <laughs> In the chat, <laughs> you, you said during pretty much during the celebrations, you, your words were "I'm vibrating." And can you explain? <laughs> it was just the whole stadium erupted. It was just crazy. I think some guy was shaking me. I'm not too sure what happened. I think my body it's either my body or someone. It was just like Chris. Words can't describe how crazy it was. It was just absolutely crazy. You. Especially, you wouldn't know because he was at home. I don't know why he was at home, but uh, yeah. Norovirus. No <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, everyone knows what that's like. That's almost as crazy as being vibrating at a football match. Yeah, so I'm the guy right in front of me. He literally turned around and we're just looking at each other, just con- <laughs> staring at each other, shaking each other. <laughs> just start vibrating. You just, uh, it was just, love- I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's what, what, what you do as football fans, you know, that's what you love. Last minute goals and celebrations like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've experienced a, a lot of them, and you know some of the, you know the, the the goals at Brighton I've talked about on this show a lot, where you just lose your mind, and you cannot. I've tried so many times to explain to people, particularly non-football people, what that's like when you've got that level of emotional investment in what you're watching, and something like that happens, and particularly when you've, you know, when you've watched a 90 minute match that you're losing to a team that you're better than uh, that you're desperate for points from and that you think you're going to, you're going to not get what you deserve and to suddenly get what you deserve or at least, you know, the least you deserve, if you like, it just, it changes everything. It really does. And, oh, you know, I'm still buzzing from it now. I really am. <laughs> Good deal. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it, I think it's just one of the moments. If you're a football fan, you won't be able to describe it. You just have to feel it. And yeah, it's just one of the moments where you actually felt a victory. Like you felt something actually came as a result of it. And yeah, it was fantastic. Ed, your reaction? I suppose you're there with your dad. How, how, did, how did he take it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just absolute scenes where we were just. I mean, like you said, to people that don't like follow football and go through what we go through, you just can't explain it to them. Like, especially the way we were just knocking on the door for that equaliser for so long in the second half, and so many opportunities came and went, and unbelievable saves getting made. You start to think, like we've said, it's not going to be your day, and then they got the other end. You think that's it? I mean, if when uh, Antonio takes that to the corner, I think Schlupp just tries to. Smash him into the stands. <laughs> yeah. if, he just, if he just takes the contact and it's a West Ham free kick, the game's over, it's done. But he doesn't. And Tompkins, like you said, kudos to him for and calm as anything, little chest back. And up the other end, and it, you know, you think the game's gone. And you think when Wilf gets closed down by two of them as he goes to the byline, you think that's it. And somehow he just turns and rolls it when you see the ball hit the net. It's just the place just erupts and you just. Grabbing hold of strangers next to you and jumping around like a nutter. 
Yeah, and it's yeah, and I say we love those moments. And Patrick, I've seen the video of you screaming at your TV as well. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, mean, and, I, and I, you know, but people obviously sometimes don't think people appreciate that either. That you know, for the for the expats and the overseas fans, and you know, some a lot of our new fans who are who are watching from overseas, you know, they get it just as much. And you know, this is the sort of thing that you know keeps them hooked or gets them hooked in the first place. I think it was uh, the doctor, Dr. Zaf, who had uh, Azhar Ali, the uh, Pakistani cricketer, with him. Oh, uh, the right. game. I don't, don't, don't know if you saw that. You kind of want to say to him, come on, mate, um, do, do a little bit more research before you commit. <laughs> but, right. You know, you're in for some, some hard, hard times as well. But uh, it was just, it was, it was a magical moment, wasn't it? Yeah, Chris, I mean, seriously, I mean, the expat thing's a great point. I mean, usually I go to the football factory in New York to watch it with some mates of mine, but just, just not being able to go to the Sellers Park on a, on a regular basis, you really, you miss that. And to have that emotion of a, of, of a, of a goal that you think means so much, and it does mean so much to our, you know, to our club and Matt Turner season around and, and to, you know, you know, I did a video just as more of a joke, but you know, you get that reaction, you, you're going crazy. And it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's just a great feeling. And I'm trying to think back now, I can't remember the last time we've got a goal late in a match at home like that. I remember obviously the Chongyang Lee one against Stoke a couple of years ago, but we don't really score goals at home that late to, to, to you know, to get us points. So, I mean, especially at that end of the stadium too. So it was, it's just, it was just a great moment and something that, you know, hopefully is the impetus to turn our season around. We need, we need something like that to kind of, get this thing rolling for us absolutely uh, right Scott Dan up against Bournemouth last yes our right. last season yeah. is probably yeah. the last one <laughs> under Padre you're right good call yeah. yeah you're right yeah, I still I've talked about this way more than I should have done, but I still remember the turning a one 0 defeat against Coventry into a two one win for two quick Jermaine Easter goals. <laughs> That's right. I've got it's the the most unnecessary I've celebrated. I was absolutely going mental, uh, but a very very happy moment as well in the Homesdale. I think there was a last minute goal from Clinton against Leeds as well with a volley or something like that that caused me to lose my voice for about a week. There's things like that. It's just I love it. Just yeah. love it and. Uh, yeah. So we've got some comments from uh, Facebook, DR, that you want to bring up, and we'll do a quick roundup of your contact before we leave. Yeah, I just want to bring up a comment that I saw from Matthew Mason. He said, um, a month ago, we would, we would have lost that match 3 or 4-0. To come back from 2-0 down shows how the fighting spirit is back in that team. And that's that's exactly um, what I thought yesterday as well. You have to give credit to all the players out there yesterday, especially in the second half. They did not stop. They literally did not stop. Even at the last, like, you heard what Will said after the game. He believes, he, they all believe till the last minute. And you have to give credit because we've criticised them for not showing desire and belief so many times. But yesterday, in the second half, you have to give credit to all of them players out there because they did believe and they put their asses on the line there and their balls. <laughs> the balls, yeah. no, the balls. The balls on the yeah. line. You're, you're always on about balls for God's sake. Anyway, <laughs> no, but it's a really good point that, that, that Matthew makes, and um, it's it's something that obviously we were really critical a few weeks back. I think it was after the Man United game, and I think I was talking mainly with Jell about it on, on the show. And we were saying just all we want is just some fight. Put a challenge in. Put something yeah. in. Just don't don't just roll over and die. Or you know just. Well, we're Palace fans. All we want to see is you fight for the shirt, and they've done that. They really have done that. And, and yeah, I totally concur that earlier in the season, that that would have been a, a really probably a very heavy defeat for us, and it would have been incredibly demoralising. But 
it, those these are the sort of things that do engender that spirit and that spirit's so important to us the fact that the to get the fans and the players fighting for a common cause and the the, the noise and the reaction at, at Celeste that's you cannot stress how important that was um, for the players to hear particularly after the Bristol City thing where you know those that, that went like like myself and, and 900 odd others it was it was horrible absolutely horrible um particularly with the animosity between the crowd and the players at the end and we don't want to see that uh, so the perfect reaction really well other than other than to have gone one more and got the winner of course but it was uh, i think it's a very very important moment in our season we've got to follow it up um just a quick nod to the request in the chat room for a video of patrick screaming at his tv patrick will tweet it later and we'll retweet it for sure so, <laughs> that's from uh, inverness eagles asking for a link to, <laughs> to <laughs> no listen to that um so of course the next game is against tottenham at wembley we're going to wembley come on palace (laughs) and um so of course terence will be previewing that in midweek do make sure you download and subscribe to get hold of that Uh, i'm sure it'll be excellent as always i won't be in it this week like i was last time but you know you can't have everything can you um I will uh, be going to to Wembley to watch Palace as well. So of course, if you see me there, you'll you'll know you'll know who I am. I'm the man who's eighty five percent beard now. Um, but do come say hi if you uh, if you spot me, like many many people do, and it's always appreciated. Always lovely to meet our listeners. They're all smashing people. Uh, never uh, never a, hot, a bad word to say to us. Weirdly, <laughs> so um, keep that up. Don't come and say bad words to me. I will cry. Uh, so anyway we'll be back of course next week my thanks to Mikey for producing to uh, Patrick to Ed and to DR for their time today and of course you for listening see you next week the Talksport fan network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.